Welcome aboard, Eagles fans, to the first episode of our new podcast here on NJ.com, The No Huddle Show, episode one. We're doing this every week throughout all of Eagles training camp, all of the season. You can subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, listen on NJ.com. So I'm happy to bring aboard our two stars of the show here, two guys covering the Eagles on a day-to-day basis, Elliot Shore Parks. Elliot, how are you, bud? Doing good, man. Excited to uh, get this started. Yeah, I am too. And we also have Mark Eckel here with us. Mark, how are you? I'm good. Can't wait. So here we go. We got the Eagles and training camp is here. Eagles fans, this has been one of the craziest off-seasons I could ever remember. And uh, it was a dramatic off-season. There was a lot to talk about during the off-season. Drama on and off the field. And then it started, guys, yesterday. And we'll get into all the football. We'll get into all the the storylines around camp. But yesterday, uh, training camp opens up. They trade Brandon Boykin, their slot corner, on Saturday night. And then immediately, it seems like the headlines start coming out about Boykin's comments uh, and his text messages to Derek Gunn of CSN um, about Chip Kelly, uncomfortable people of Brandon Boykin's culture. And then it took on a racism aspect that Brandon Boykin took that back. But just your initial thoughts and your initial reaction, number one, when Boykin was traded, and number two, all of that stuff yesterday seemed like we traveled back down that road again. Uh, Elliot, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised and also I would say maybe a little not not actually surprised. when I remember talking to uh, Mark about it a few years before, and we had kind of come to the conclusion that Boykin might be here to stay. I mean, I know last year he didn't play a ton, but with the new defensive backs coach, Corey Unglin, who's talked really highly of Boykin, and let's be honest, they did in a way they need him. I thought he was going to be here to stay, but when you see what they got, you know, potentially a fourth-round pick for a cornerback that, didn't play much last year and pretty clear that Billy Davis didn't think was very good. Um, I think it's a good return, but I do think it opens up some, certainly some question marks because as high as they are on Ja'Cory Shepard, he's, he's an unknown. Yeah, Mark, what were your thoughts? I mean, initially, I'm with Elliot in terms of the return they got, if you just look at it as an individual move. But, yeah, I mean, he was supposed to be their nickel corner to start the year, and now that's another question mark. Well, was he supposed to be? I mean, he – I think people are forgetting last year and looking back to the Brandon Boykin of 2013. Yes, Brandon Boykin had a very good 2013 season. You could make the argument that he was the MVP to defense because he he sealed the Cowboy game when he intercepted Kyle Orton to to help the Eagles, to not help, but to win the division for the Eagles. Last year, Brandon Boykin was not very good. Look it up. He did not have a good 2014 at, at all. I mean, the fact that he couldn't, you know, he cried about wanting to play outside. If he was good enough to play outside, he would have played ahead of Bradley Fletcher. I mean, Billy Davis doesn't want to lose. He wants to play the best people. He didn't have a good year. They were trying to move him all along. They didn't get an offer. Any, you know, If Pittsburgh increased their offer to a fifth, that, could, that can become a fourth. What, were they, what was the original offer? It had to be like a seventh or a sixth, right? I mean, so, you know, and I, I, you know, it's funny. I, I was asked after the trade. I had like, a, like 11 different either, uh, you know, tweets or Facebook messages uh, asking me, couldn't they have gotten any anything more for him? Well, obviously not, or they would have. But they didn't. They didn't turn down a third to take a fifth. I mean, so I mean, I, I'm not that upset by the Brandon Boykin trade. I, I think uh, with Nolan Carroll, who they, they're just raving about, uh, with the with, with the three young kids that they brought in, uh, even EJ Biggers, who keeps getting talked about by the coaching staff now the last couple of days, I think they're they're fine. They think they're fine without Brandon Boykin. Now we'll see how it plays out. So when you guys met with Chip yesterday, the first opening press conference of training camp, he was asked about not only the move itself, which we're talking about right now, but what Brandon Boykin had to say. And here's what Chip Kelly had to say to you guys yesterday and really to all of us about what Brandon Boykin said to Derek Gunn. 
I don't know. I mean, I think I, I when talking to him last night, I think he was stunned. Um, he was disappointed. I think he really liked it here. Uh, very close with his teammates. Um, I and I told him I, I thought the timing itself wasn't a real good time, but uh, they actively pursued him. They tried to. They wanted to trade for him at the uh, draft, and we turned it down. They had called last week and turned it down again. And then when we sat down with Corey and Billy and Ed as a group and you know, looked at the offer that they made for us and kind of really, it's more speaks to what our depth was. Yeah, it did. It really did. I mean, when he left here last night, uh, shook my hand, gave me a hug. So, you know, didn't say anything. Billy felt the same way when he left, you know. And I, I like Brandon. I, I just don't know. I really don't know. Talk to our players. Those are the guys I'm concerned with, and I have great confidence in those guys in that in that locker room that are getting ready to come train it right now. So, you know, the reality is we have 90 guys, and, and you're going to have to cut to 53. So 37 guys are going to be disappointed, and, and obviously, I would imagine all 37 of those guys have a different opinion than we have as a staff. But that's what you have to do, and that's what we're charged to do. So, I haven't really had time to digest that, but I don't, I don't believe that. I mean. Talk to D'Amico, talk to the other guys here. I think those are the guys you should talk to. Guys, if we look at this move and the trade and, and anything Boykin said, if we look at it all in a vacuum, just one move, I don't think any of it's really that big of a deal, and I think it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But you go back to McCoy's comments, Trey Thomas, and then what Boykin seemed to allude to before he took it back in Pittsburgh yesterday. I mean, is there a problem here? Is there something going on with Chip Kelly and his players? Because... There seems to be a perception, and we know it. Perception becomes reality with fans, and hopefully not inside that locker room. But, I mean, do you guys sense a problem within his team with the way he treats people? And, you know, Boykin talking about, you know, walking past him in the hallway and not even, you know, saying hi. We know Chip's a little bit of a different guy, but do you guys think there's a long-term problem here? We'll start with Elliot. I think so. I mean, you know, like, as long as they're winning, it really doesn't matter. And, you know, if we win 20 games in two years – you know, a lot of stuff's going to get brushed over. But I really think if you think back to this time last year, there was a perception out there that the Eagles were an amazing team to play for. I remember reading a lot of articles about how veterans wanted to come here and all that type of good stuff. But I really don't think players like Chip as much as people think they do. I mean, you know, they're winning, so it doesn't matter. But I don't think, you know, there's certain guys on the team that I think really get along with Chip, guys like Connor Barwin, uh, Jason Kelsey. Maybe you can put Malcolm Jenkins, certainly D'Amico after he gave him that deal. But – I mean, I don't think the players are, like, crazy about Chip. It's just when they're winning and they think he can help them, you know, then you got they're going to get along. But I don't think they're, they're personally feeling connected and they go out there and play hard for Chip. I don't think that's going on. I tend to think there's a difference there. I, I, I think, and I, I, I wrote a column, I think after LaShawn's comments, that Chip isn't a racist, he's a readist. Yeah. The people he doesn't, he doesn't like, the leftovers. He doesn't like, and I can say all of them because D'Amico is a Andy Reid leftover. But I think the guys that like Chip love him, and I, the guys that Elliot mentioned, that Malcolm Jenkins, D'Amico Ryan's, Connor Barwin, um, you know, the, the guys that he's brought in. Uh, some of the leftovers, the Evan Map, Evan Mathis, white guy. So let's bring race if, if we if we, we want to talk. About, I don't think Evan Mathis likes Chip Kelly very very much, uh, and that obviously has nothing to do with race. But he was a leftover. He was an Andy Reid guy. Um, I think, I mean, I, I disagree with Elliot in that uh, free agents won't come here. I mean, two of the most high-profile free agents of this market signed with the Eagles, Byron Maxwell and, and DeMarco Murray. And then I'm sure and DeMarco Murray turned down more money from the Oakland Raiders to uh, come here. So 
you know, they, they got the guy. And then, you know, Miles Austin, who's been around the league for a long time, decided to, to again, I'm sure he didn't have a lot of offers, but he decided to uh, come here. So I think there's a there are guys that probably wouldn't come here because they, they don't like Chip style, but I think there's enough guys that do like it. I don't think well, that's a, a problem. The counter, the counter I would make to that, though, is, I mean, you know, you look at each situation individually. I mean, they grossly overpaid for Byron Maxwell. And I see what you're saying about DeMarco Murray. Murray, I didn't. I didn't mean to say that free agents wouldn't come here. I was just saying that the perception after Chip won the division was that this is some amazing new edge cutting place. And I think there's some truth to some of that. But I also, I do think, I mean, a lot of people like to dismiss the comments because these people aren't here anymore. But I do think everything they've said, these people genuinely believe. I don't think they're making it up just to take shots at Chip. Now, whether they're right or wrong, I don't know. But guys like LaShawn McCoy, guys like Trey Thomas and Brandon Boykin, they've spent more, way more time around Chip than I have. So, I mean, I can only take what they say for what it's worth. I don't think they're making it up. As, oh, as I a- agree. I'm not, oh, I'm, I'm not accusing LaShawn or Deshaun or anybody named Sean of, of making things up, but I just like I said, I think there are there are some guys that yeah will that will never you know will never a certain kind of player that doesn't like the, the Chip's methods or wants some wants more of a hands on kind of coach or a coach that talks to him in the hallway whatever Boykin said that's not Chip so if you don't like that style then no you don't you're not going to be be a Philadelphia Eagle but if you want if you are cutting edge if if you want a guy that's going to as Billy Davis said today they. Billy Davis has worked for 10 different teams, he said. He said that they, the Eagles do more for players than anywhere he's ever been in terms of taking care of them physically, mentally, you know, again, with the sleep stuff and, the, and the, you know, everybody jokes about the smoothies, but that, that's something different. You know, having Monday off instead of Tuesday, it's, they do things different than any other team in the league and any other Eagle team in, in the past. So it is different, and it's just like anything else. If, if, you, want to, if you like that, then, then you fit. If you don't like it, you're not going to be here. I guess then the next question is, because I'm with both of you, I, I think that those players didn't just say it to say it. They felt something, whether they, they were feeling something that really wasn't true and it was just their perception of the situation. They said it because they felt it at the time. And, and now, the, I guess the question for me has to be, does Chip Kelly have to change here so this stops happening? I mean, you don't hear this anywhere else. You know, Andy recuts guys, no one calls him a racist or alludes to that. Bill Belichick, anyone around the league, you never hear this. You heard it a couple times now with the Eagles, more than a few, uh, over the past few months. And national shows are talking today again, opening that can of worms. Does Chip Kelly have to change so the perception of him changes uh, in his own locker room? Do you think he change, Elliot? That's a tough question. On one hand, I think you do because I think he's going to have a tough time building a roster of 53 guys that both do everything exactly how he wants to do it and want to get paid exactly what he wants to pay him. Like, Evan Mathis is a guy, and I know Echol disagrees with on the Mathis front, but he's a guy that is not a culture problem. I mean, he, did, he brought into the sports science. He was in great shape for his age, all that type of stuff. He was a very good player, but he thought he deserved more money. So, you know, Chip cut him. Now, the problem is, you know, with different players, different situations, but sooner or later, you're going to have to adjust a little bit. And I think Chip does have some compromise in him, but I think there's certain areas he won't compromise. And it'll just be interesting to see if eventually that kind of is his downfall because you need to have players that want to play for you. I mean, Rex Ryan, for all of his flaws, and he didn't win a lot, players did play hard for him. So I don't, I don't know if at a certain point Chip needs enough guys in his corner, and I don't know if he has that yet. Oh, I, he's not, I, I could say this, and I don't know him, I know him as well as any other writer, I guess, or – 
Um, he's not going to. It's not going to happen. Chip Kelly is not going to change because Brandon Boykin felt neglected. That's not going to. Chip Kelly's not. Chip Kelly doesn't give a darn. I'll use <laughs> the word. What people think he does, and, that, that, and that's not going to change. That's the way he's been since he was at New Hampshire. And I don't know how. What can he do? Like, I mean, like you say, change the perception. What's he, is he supposed to like? You know, what's he supposed to buy? Buy tickets to the the next rap concert? I don't. I mean, how, how's he proved? How's he proved that he's not a racist? I mean, but the interesting thing about it is, like, on one hand, Chip is very. He is very like he's into doing research into new ways to do things. He's always finding out the latest cutting edge. And in that, there's a certain degree of personality where he's not stuck in his ways. I mean, it's not like he's Tom Coughlin, for example, who's going to do things the same way he's done them for 30 years. I mean, Chip probably assesses everything he does every year. So I agree with you that there's certain things, I guess, in his personality that he won't change. But it's interesting that it kind of goes against almost everything everything else, his entire philosophy of adapting and, you know, reassessing. So, you know. Well, what do you want to do? I don't understand. What, what could he do to prove that he's not a racist? If people think he's a racist, I don't. I don't, I don't think he's do about it. I mean, he just has. He to has cut white guys do. I mean, cut uh, The easy answer is cut Riley Cooper. That's what the people, the people who who think Chip has racist tendencies, or they all. It all goes back to well, he kept Riley Cooper. Yeah. Like if he cut Riley Cooper, that would get him. Everybody would think he's a great guy again, and he's not a racist. Well, I think that's the elephant in the room. And look, I've never spoken to these guys who have said these, you know, ha- made these accusations and talked to them about this. And you know, most of us haven't. Most Eagles fans aren't even close to what they're thinking in their real minds. But I think that's the elephant in the room that everyone will come back to until Cooper's on this football team. Because if I had said to you guys two years ago that Riley Cooper would outlast Brandon Boykin, LaShawn McCoy, Deshaun Jackson. Jeremy Macklin, I know Macklin left in free agency, but just if I had said that to you, we all would have shook our heads and said, ah, I don't think so. How is that possible? But he has, and I, that is, to me, an elephant in the room. I agree, John. I, I, yeah. often wonder, I often wonder if Jeremy Macklin hadn't torn his ACL in, in what, the first or day, whatever, early on in, in training camp a couple years, Chip's first year, if, if Raleigh Cooper wouldn't have been cut after that episode at the um, – at the Kenny Chesney concert. But I think what Macklin out, it, it was kind of a tough cut to make that. I, I often wonder, though, if, if they had a healthy Macklin and, and if Cooper wouldn't have been gone. You know, though, like, I, I think about that, too, and I think had they cut Cooper, now this wouldn't be a, a problem. But on the flip side of that, when, the, when he's stuck by Cooper, there were some players that disagree with it, but there were also players that talked about how it brought the locker room together and how it, you know, I mean, Let's be honest. If Chip cuts Riley Cooper at that point, I mean, he might he might never play again. I mean, that's the type of thing that sticks with you. And I think at the time, I thought that was Chip as a rookie head coach showing, look, he's going to stick by his players. But you know, you never know what the future is going to hold. And now I think the move has has kind of come back to bite him. Well, and the main, if, if you remember also, Elliot, the, the main one of the main um, supporters of Riley Cooper, and I think the, one of the main reasons Chip did keep him was Mike Vick. Yeah stood up in defense of Riley Cooper and said, he's my guy. I know he's not really like this. And went on and gave, a, from what I was told, a very impassionate defense of Riley. And I think that played on Chip's mind. And I think, you know, Chip at that time, Mike Vick was the Eagles quarterback at that time. He was the starting quarterback who Chip had put his faith in. And I think that that went a long way, as well as Macklin being hurt, um, and, and why they, they did keep Cooper. To go yeah. back and just to, to make a point about the Boykin thing from yesterday, even if we remove race from it, the, the comment that 
caught me and I think a lot of people off guard was when he talked about walking past Chip in the hallway and Chip sometimes not even saying hi and kind of being in his own world, which, you know, on one sense, well, it's not that even that big of a deal, but in the other sense, it is kind of odd and Chip is his own guy and he's focused and all that kind of stuff. But the question I have with that is, and Elliot, a few minutes ago you had said everything Chip does, he thinks about and he, he tries to find new ways to go about you know, perfecting everything about football and the culture he's building. Do you think any of that kind of stuff, even if we just remove the race stuff for a second, do you think any of that might be by design? I mean, Chip Kelly now is not just the coach of this team. He has to be you know, the GM as well. So he can't – I find it hard if you're going to be that kind of person in an organization to have a really great relationship with all your players because you have to be pretty cold and calculated to be a GM. Uh, coaches can be a little more close, but he now has that dual role. I mean, like, let's be honest here. Football is Chip Kelly's life. I mean, you know, I don't know a lot of head coaches in the NFL. I've only ever covered the Eagles. But, I mean, this guy, like, sleeps, eats, and breathes football. I mean, you know, he, he has no kids that we know of. He's not currently married that we know of. And, I mean, you know, he says he gets in he gets into the NovaCare at 6 a.m. and leaves at 10. So, you know, when Boykin says he can't relate to people of our culture, you know, when he expounded on those comments, he said, you know, if you sit down to small talk with Chip, you know, what do you small talk with him about? You know, I mean, this all he talks about is football, and that's a tough relationship for him to talk to Boykin about in a way. So I just think that's kind of the guy Chip is. I mean, if, you know, I, I don't think it's it's a racist thing. I think culture was actually really good use, good use of the word by Boykin in the way, like, Chip can't relate to a, you know, a 23, 24-year-old African-American in a way because all, all he does is his job. He doesn't, there's nothing, not much for them to small talk about. Maybe the players should, should read the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, there you go. Chip's favorite. Chip a little more. I don't know. Yeah, but I, yeah, you're right, Coach. I mean, Elliot, you and I have, like, you know, we, we joke about it, but there's some things that we talk about. I, like, I shake my head sometimes when I mention a movie that you never heard of or, right. or, or you throw some rap guy at me that I never heard of. I mean, so yeah. it, there, there is, I mean, age is a factor, too. I mean, Chip's a 50-something-year-old guy. Yeah, he, he doesn't have a lot in common with, with 22-year-old black or white. Yeah, and I mean, like, just just little things. Like, okay, so we were out at the owners' meetings. Or, yeah, it was the owners' meetings in Arizona. And those, for people that have never been, that's kind of like a social event where all the head coaches and GMs hang out. They have a big party at night where they invite the media. And everyone socializes. Everyone hangs out. There's music. And Chip wasn't there. I mean, like, you know, he was in Arizona. He just didn't come to the party. So that's just the kind of guy Chip is. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Chip's obviously very successful in his career. And it's where he prioritizes things. So I just think, you know, when you hear the story about him walking by Boykin in the hallway and not saying hi, like, yeah, that's a little cold, and I can see why that would rub someone the wrong way. But I don't think it's something Chip does intentionally. To, was, was he the only coach that wasn't there? From my memory, yeah. I mean, even, you know, Ed, Ed, uh, Ed Manowitz was out there. Jeff Lurie was out there. I mean, I mean from the other teams, like, was, was Mike Tomlin there? Was Andy Reid there? Was Bill Belichick there? Andy Reid was there. Andy Reid's wife was dancing with Roger Goodell. I mean, it was like... Two TMI now. now we two. <laughs> I mean, but that's what I'm saying. It's, it's that type of social event where Chip wasn't there. And I heard last year, I wasn't there, but last year I heard Chip was there, but he sat in the corner by himself with, I think, one other person and didn't socialize. So, you know, you know that's just the kind of guy Chip is. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just, but when you're that kind of guy, you know, you're not a Rex Ryan kind of guy then your players aren't going to relate to you. And if he wins, it's not going to matter. And if he doesn't, then people will point to that. I don't think it'll be his downfall, but that's just the reality of the situation. Yeah, that's the way it's always going to be. No matter what kind of personality you have, if you win, 
uh, that becomes a story. And right now, they don't have any football games to win or lose yet. So it was a story with Boykin. All right, let's get to what's been happening on the field outside of the move with Boykin and all the fallout afterwards. They're actually on the field. We've been waiting months and months for this. And the biggest story on the field, guys, of course, is the quarterback situation. So we know Sam Bradford's been out there 11 on 11. The big brace is off the knee. We'll start with Bradford. How has he looked in your eyes to start this camp? We'll go to Elliot. I think he's looked – all right, so he's practiced twice. I thought yesterday he looked pretty rusty, which, I mean, you know, I've obviously not been Bradford's biggest supporter, so I'm not one to make excuses for him. But in this case, I do think you can make an excuse for him. I mean, he hasn't played 11-11 of football in close to a year. And even though the pads aren't on, it's still a different type of football. You have to worry about the line coming at you. There's just a lot more to take into account. So yesterday I thought he looked rusty. Uh, he dumped, he uh, dumped it uh, you know, into the flat a lot. He did throw it down the field a few times. He had one of his passes intercepted, which is the only quarterback that was picked off yesterday. But today I thought he looked a little more, little more comfortable. He had a real deep touchdown pass to Jordan Matthews. Um, he, he spread out the ball a little more. So I think this is what's going to happen with Bradford. He's going to slowly come back, you know, coming off of the injury, and hopefully – become more and more comfortable if you're an Eagles fan and, you know, start to look like the player he was seven years ago. Yeah, I, I was impressed today just with the fact that he was he looked he looked good and he, and he looked healthy again because in all my years of covering a team and covering guys who have been hurt for a long time, it's not the first day back because, you know, he hadn't done anything in months, so he, he should have been good yesterday. But after a whole day of practice – I was even wondering if he was going to be out there today because he could. If, if he came back almost like a horse after a, after a race, if a horse comes back sore, then you worry a little bit. He wasn't sore. I mean, he came out today and like always, oh, I played. He looked better today than than yesterday, which is a great sign, and he looked fine. So I don't. I think we can stop worrying about him about his health at least for now. I don't think there's, if I don't think there's any question that he's going to start the preseason opener against Indianapolis in, in, in less than a couple weeks now and. You know, barring anything crazy between now and September 14th, he'll be the starter Monday night against the Atlanta Falcons as well. Quick note for all our listeners out there. We're recording this podcast on Monday after practice Monday. So our guys are just saying yesterday that was Sunday. Today is Monday. You're listening on Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever. Uh, you're not losing track of your days. We're just kind of going back and, and recaying the first few days of camp. So, you know, guys, with Bradford, it seems as if, that the whole thing we heard about it being a true quarterback competition, being open competition everywhere, that seemed to almost go out the door in day one, did it not? I mean, Mark Sanchez doesn't seem to really be in a quarterback competition. I know Chip Kelly had said he doesn't pay attention to who's with the first or second team. It's all about reps and Ryan Day's giving those out as the, the quarterback's coach. But in your eyes, are we not in a quarterback competition? Is this just Sam Bradford's job as long as he's healthy? Oh, it's definitely Sam Bradford's job. I mean, I've been beating the drum all offseason that maybe there'd be a quarterback competition, and I think you can make an argument that if there was an open one, Sanchez could maybe win the job given, you know, a number of factors that I've beat to death in the last month. But, I mean, there, there's no doubt that this is Bradford's job. He's taken every rep but four over two days with the first team. The only time Sanchez got in there with the first team, he handed the ball off. And Sanchez hasn't even played that well. So, but I don't think there's, there's absolutely any question. There's no quarterback competition between Bradford and Sanchez. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, there is in the sense that if when the preseason starts, if Bradford is just god-awful, if he goes out against the Colts and is terrible for a quarter or whatever and then plays even worse against Baltimore and, it's just, and Sanchez is playing well, I think it's got, Chip's got to think about it. I mean, it was Chip's quote to us that one day when he said, you know, if Sam throws 14 interceptions and, and Mark throws 14 touchdowns, 
I'm going to go with Mark. But I mean that, and he and he's being very extremist there. But I mean, there's 12.9 million reasons why Bradford's the starter. Yeah. There's also, if you're thinking about it, the way you know it's structured with the way the preseason is compared to the reps they get in practice. I mean, do you think there's any thought to you know giving Bradford as many of the reps in practice where you can control the situation, you can control who hits him, and maybe we'll see Sanchez more often than a normal backup when we get to the preseason games because you know you don't want to put Bradford out there unnecessarily near hits if you don't have to. Do you think we might be in a situation like that where? Bradford gets most of the practice reps, but then you know you see more of Sanchez than you'd expect in the preseason, just not to put Bradford in harm's way. Well, the only reason I think that might not happen is just because the real competition on the roster is between Tebow and Barkley, and I think Tebow's are going to want to see what Barkley and Tebow have. Now, that being said, I think you make a good point that for all the reasons we mentioned about why he looked rusty, Bradford needs to be out there as much as possible. He hasn't played in a game in close to a year. He's playing with a new team, with a new offense. And he needs to get comfortable and prove himself. So I think, you know, you can't play afraid that Bradford's going to get hurt. If he's going to get hurt, he's going to get hurt. In reality, you need to get him out there and have him play. But I don't see much benefit to having a lot of reps for Sanchez because he's been in the system for two years – or, sorry, a year. Um, he played well last year. And I think you you got to see what Tebow and Barkley have. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, I had to laugh a little bit when you said about Sanchez playing extended time in the preseason. That's, isn't that how he got hurt with the Jets, playing – Playing behind backup offensive linemen against yeah, in the fourth quarter of the third preseason game. Yeah, so I don't, I'm, I don't think Mark will be real, real thrilled about playing a lot of preseason. And I, and I, and I agree with Elliot that yeah, this is Barkley and Tebow are I think are going to get a lot of time. A Tebow needs reps because he hasn't played in, in longer than Bradford and Barkley. If you know, if they still think you know, if Barkley could play well in preseason. And people say, oh, then, then he'll win the job. No, I think if Barkley plays well in preseason, they may be able to move him for a, for a, you know, a late-round draft pick and, and at least get something back for him. So if that's the case, Tim Tebow's on this football team, and does he look like a different quarterback? You know, we've sort of heard so much, and you guys saw him a little bit in minicamp, but this is a little bit different now. We heard so much about working with Tom House and delivering the football differently. Does he look better? I mean, does he look like the type of guy that belongs on an NFL roster as a quarterback? I'll, I'll let, I'll let uh, Mr. Tebow take that one. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> I think he looks fine. Uh, he looked good today, Elliot. I don't know what grade you gave him today, but I thought he looked pretty good today. Yeah, well, I gave him a D-plus yesterday because I didn't think he – I mean, Because he was only 9 for 12, and you yeah, wanted 12 for 12. And he actually – I think today was 11 of 14, so his, his completion percentage was pretty similar, but – I just thought today he, he put the ball down the field a little more. He ran with it once. Yesterday he dinked and dunked it a little. But, I mean, you know, me, me and Mark don't agree on, on that. not dinking and dunking. What? I mean, that's what this offense is, dink and dunk. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean. He's perfect for this offense. That, that's my opinion. He's per, I mean, he gives you, and again, he's not going to start. I'm not going to, let's not get carried away. But he, he's so much, he is so much more valuable to, to this team than Matt Barkley will ever be. I mean, it's not even close in my mind. What I mean, what does Matt? What can Matt Barkley do? That I mean, he's he. I don't know. But Tebow, I mean, just his running ability. If he goes in on third and one or fourth and one, even if they're going to hand it to to Murray, you, the the linebacker has to respect the fact that it's Tebow. If it's Bradford or or Sanchez or Barkley, they're not. They're going to key on Murray. Uh, he, I mean, he just brings another dimension to the game that the Eagles don't currently have. Yeah, I mean, you're and we're talking about third quarterback here too, so let's not get too 
Right. I mean, you're talking to maybe Tebow's two biggest supporters in the media room. I mean, I got into a debate with a few media members today, about 45 minutes about Barkley. And to play devil's advocate, their point is kind of, look, Tebow hasn't been on the roster for the last two years for a reason. Barkley has. You can say whatever you want about Tebow and his fit and everything. And I personally agree that Tebow is a better option. But How many playoff games has Barkley won? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But that was three years ago, four years ago. Okay. I mean, Who was better in college? We, yeah, we can't, what we, round did Barkley get, get drafted in? What round did Tebow get drafted in? But we can't knock Bradford for being good a long time ago and then not point that out with, with Tebow. I mean, right. here's the thing. I'm Tebow. I'm, I'm a Tebow. You're the vice president of Tebow fan. I'm, I I'm as well, but even I'll admit, Barkley is a better, in my opinion, pure passer than Tebow is. I think he has a better arm. Now that I think everyone has to agree with that. I mean, just because, you know, what we've seen out of Tebow throwing the football, most quarterbacks that are in the NFL, I, I'm with you. They, they are better pure throwers. But Who that, to the other team more? What is what is Barkley? What has that pure arm accomplished him? I mean, he he played. He's played very little, and when he has played, he he was bad. I mean, Tebow at least it's all yeah, terrible. Tebow for all of his flaws. I mean, he has started and won in the NFL, and he won a playoff game. And yes, it was you know a few years ago. But if Tebow is the number three quarterback in the Eagles, I think you can make the argument he's the best number three quarterback in the league in terms of accomplishments and, and resume. I think you're right, and that would be interesting if that's the way it plays out because, in my opinion, Sanchez is probably the best number two quarterback in the NFL. So with all the questions we have about Sam Bradford's ability to stay healthy, the Eagles would have probably the most impressive depth at any any team at quarterback. To have a two and a three like Sanchez and Tebow, that's not bad. And Bradford's definitely not the best quarterback starting. So they they don't want that one, but they do have the two and three down. Right, they have the depth. They have quantity more than, I guess, the top-heavy quality. And when we were talking there – um, Mark, you had mentioned in your description of you know, handing the ball to Murray or holding it when you were talking about Tim Tebow, you mentioned to Marco Murray, who I think in all of our minds is, you know, he's going to be the guy in the backfield or one of the guys for the Eagles, but certainly, you know, they paid him like the guy in their backfield. Do we have any clarification? What was up on Sunday, day one of camp, where he didn't get any team reps? And initially there was some speculation maybe he was hurt. He walked off and he didn't give you guys uh, some time afterwards, media time. He just did the one pre-planned interview. Uh, and then we find out today, we see some quotes, that he wasn't exactly thrilled about not being in there. I mean, is that, does that strike you as strange? DeMarco Murray, Offensive Player of the Year, not taking the reps in, in team? Uh, we'll go to Elliot. Yeah, I think it's pretty weird. And, I, I, you know, there were – I mean, maybe he's hurt and he's, he doesn't want to admit it, um, which isn't anything unique. But it's just interesting that the whatever he decided to say was – that the coaches didn't want him in there, and he wasn't happy about it. Now, the quotes are a little stronger than how he said it. I mean, he was I think he was saying it in a, in a competitive way, that he always wants to be out there. But it is weird that on the first day of practice, when you have, I mean, almost half this team are new faces, and everyone's out there, that he's the only one being held out of team drills. And you're having uh, Darren Sproles, a guy who's not new either and doesn't exactly need the reps, take all the first team reps and carry it quite a bit. I mean, the Eagles run the ball a lot in practice. Uh, Mark can maybe speak to whether they do it more than, you know, past teams. But I think it's just weird he wasn't out there. And even today, he, he's, he's not touching the ball a ton. I mean, Sproles was getting carries again. Uh, you know, um, Ryan Matthews was getting carries. It's just it's a weird thing. I, don't, I, don't, I can't explain it or, or think of a really logical reason why. Yeah, and you were with him today, Elliot, so you were in that interview. Um, I wasn't. But my only guess, and this is just pure speculation on my part, is, you know, the rap on Murray last year and the rap against, you know, the, the Cowboys and Jason Garrett was that he got too much work. 
you know, he carried, what, he carried 392 times last year, which is something like that. That's a ridiculous number. Maybe Chip's feeling is, I know what Murray can do. I'm not, I'm not going to wear him out in, in, in August and on, on 90 to 90 degrees, you know, at the Novacare complex. So I, I kind of mentioned it Darren Sproles a little bit today when I was talking to him, and he brushed it off as like, you know, hey, we're all, it's, it's August. It's, it's practice. We're all going to get the, you know, you know, like he wasn't acting like, hey, I'm the top guy because I got all the work. You know, he, he understands what's going on and that Murray's going to be the top guy. Uh, you know, don't put too much into what goes on on, you know, August 3rd. Right, and none of us should. It is August 3rd. It just was strange day yeah, one. Right. Yeah, I mean, I get the pitch count thing, too. That that makes sense with a guy, like you said, Mark, that had 300, you know, plus 390 carries, and then you go into the postseason even more than that. So I get that. It's just strange on day one. So, you know, we'll monitor that going forward here with DeMarco Murray. All right, a couple quick-hitting questions um, to end our first no-huddle show here uh, on NJ.com. Player in the first couple days, guys, that has stood out to you. Could be a big name, could be a lesser name, but just first, when I say that to you, the name that pops in your head, Elliot? You know, I was thinking about this today, and I actually think it's Darren Sproles, just because of the amount of carries he's had. He looks so quick out there. He makes cuts. I mean, you know, I think he might be the best cut running back on the team, and he's been returning kickoffs. So I think, you know, when they signed DeMarco Murray and they signed Ryan Matthews, there was a perception that this was kind of it for Darren Sproles. But at least for the first two days, it looks like he's still going to be a huge part of this team. I love Sproles. You know that, Elliot. But I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a lesser name that probably nobody's talking about except Chip Kelly and Billy Davis, and that's um, E.J. Biggers, the cornerback slash special team ace who they signed as a free agent this year from the uh, Redskins. Both Kelly and Davis, unasked, you know, just not asked about him, threw his name out there ahead of a lot of other guys as someone vying for playing time at, at corner or, or at the nickel. I, don't be surprised if, not, if he doesn't only make the team, if he's not the fourth cornerback this, this year. With that, the next question I'll throw out there is this. Is it a blessing or a curse, all the versatility they have with these corners and safeties? I was thinking about this this morning, where it seems like they have so many different options. Where all these guys have the ability to maybe come play nickel if they need to with the absence of Boykin now, or play corner. Uh, or play free safety. Is that a blessing for this team? I mean, you would think it is, but or is it a curse as they try to figure out really who fits in, in what spot? I would, I would say it's a problem might be the better word. I mean, you know, they don't, you know, yeah, they have different options at different positions, but that's just because that's like saying if you have two quarterbacks, you actually don't have any. I mean, yeah, they could put a few guys at safety, but none of them are good options. They could put a few guys in the, the nickel roll, but none of them have done it. And you can make an argument Nolan Carroll shouldn't be starting, but he's probably their best option at that right now. So I definitely don't think it's a uh, – it's definitely not a blessing. It's a problem, but it, it might be a good problem in that they do have a lot of options now, and I think they'll, this is what camp is for to, to um, you know, use those options and identify those. And then hopefully by the third preseason game, you figure out that, okay, this guy is best here, that guy is best there. And these are our guys going forward. And then you decide, okay, we are going to go with Carroll here, or we're not, or, or, or you know, Shepard's better than Rowe inside, or Rowe maybe Rowe is better at this. So I think you know that's that's what camp is for. That's what the first couple of preseason games are for. But hopefully by by the time they they go to Green Bay in, in week week three to preseason, the options have become more limited, and they they know what they're doing. Which rookie has stood out? I mean, a couple of days in now, you get to see them more in pads, and then you know just the mini camp and. Uh, we were all excited about the wide receiver, Al Galore, the first rounder. Uh, is it him? Is it someone else? Which rookie has stood out so far, Elliot? 
So the easy answer, I guess, would be Nelson Aguilar, just because he's the first round pick. So I'll go with that and let Echo give us more of a. Uh... <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Take my take my guy again. Nelson yeah. Aguilar, who I think is going to be rookie of the year this year, as or, or being the mix for it. But no, he is. I mean, but that's expected. I'm going to give you a, a sleeper that I've been pumping up the last couple of days. That's a defensive lineman, undrafted defensive lineman, Travis Rossidi out of San Jose State. Uh, and again, we haven't seen a lot of him yet because. The pads haven't come on yet, so we'll see him tomorrow. I'm really looking forward to see how he does in the one-on-one drills with offensive linemen. But he's he gives Eagles something they really don't have besides Fletcher Cox, and that's an inside pass rusher. That's you know he's a he's a guy that that can disrupt the 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 pocket things up for for guys um, outside. And um, they I, I know the coaching staff likes him a little likes him a little bit. Um, so, like, you know, when they go to a 4-3 front, they could put him inside maybe with Fletcher Cox a little bit. I'm, I'm anxious to see how, how he plays going forward because he, he's a kid that you should keep your eye on. All right, we'll wrap with this one on our first episode of the No Huddle Show. If you, tomorrow's practice, you get out there and you were forced to just watch one position group really out of curiosity, and if I take quarterbacks away because that's too easy of an answer, if I take quarterback out of the equation, you can only watch one position group for tomorrow's practice, just to see how it looks and how the guys are looking out there, who would you choose, Elliot? I think I would probably go outside linebacker, just because I'm interested to see if Marcus Smith, I mean, a lot of a lot of people have written him off, and I think the Eagles maybe might have even written him off. I'm not so sure he's going to make the team, but I'm really interested to see in him, Travis Long, and, uh, you know, I guess really Brian Brayman, just because he's one of their better backup options. But that's a position where the Eagles really have a lot of depth problems, and I would just be able to see how that's playing out. It's hard to see in practice, though, because these are guys who are supposed to be rushing the passer, and, and you know, you can't hit the, the quarterback in practice. But uh, I'd probably go outside linebacker, and then outside of that, maybe receive. Is it my turn now? Uh, can I say kicker? No. Um, <laughs> now, the offensive line. I want to watch the offensive line, especially, obviously, the two new guards, uh, Alan Barber on one side. It looks like Matt Tobin, at least off the go, on, on the other side. And just see how they look. Are they are they holding off the the, the defensive linemen? Uh, how's the chemistry between them and uh, Jason Kelsey? Uh, because I think I mean that, you know that's that's the one position that um, they really didn't replay. I mean they you know they got rid of Macklin, but they brought in Aguilar. They got rid of McCoy, but they brought in Murray. They got rid of Carrie Williams, but they brought in Byron Maxwell. So I mean they replaced all the good you know quote unquote good players that got let go were replaced by quote unquote good players. Harriman's and, and Mathis were let go, and they were replaced by guys that were already here. So I'm, I'm anxious to see, and I always want to see the uh, new guy if, if he gets in Moffitt. The, he is the one. He is the wild card of the of, of the mix, being the guy that that wasn't here here last year that that could win a job. Great stuff. It should be fun as we watch this whole thing play out. We'll be back next week for our second episode. Uh, this was fun. Here, remember, follow us on Twitter at Elliot Stewart Parks at Mark Echo 08 at Joe Gilio Sports. And if you like the show, give us a, a rating on iTunes. It really helps. And this is the No Huddle Show. If you're looking for it on iTunes, you can subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And we'll be here with you every single week throughout all of training camp and then, of course, the regular season. Guys, I had a good time today. I will do it next week. Thanks, Elliot. No problem. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Joe. Take care. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Episode 1 of the No Huddle Show on NJ.com.